Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Second Peter, as we continue through our series in this little letter that Peter wrote. Um, as, we, as I began studying this week, I'll be honest with you, I had 22 verses in mind to tackle this morning. As about halfway through the week, I narrowed it down to 10 verses. And as you can tell, we're going to cover three verses this morning. And so um, that's about as far as we could make it this morning. But uh, last week was full of good news. And as you move into chapter 2, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not so good news. Uh, John Piper says chapter 1 is mainly an encouragement to avail ourselves of God's power to lead lives of godliness and love. Chapter 2 is mainly a warning against the destruction that will befall those who don't avail themselves to this power. There are no commands, no admonishments, no imperatives in chapter 2, just pure terrifying description of what will happen to those who fall prey to the false teachers in the church. As Peter's writing this, the apostles are beginning to fade. Uh, Probably 30 years has passed since the ascension of Christ. The church now is being infiltrated with false teachers, those who are coming in and gaining momentum behind the teachings of the apostles. As we talked about last week, we we have a word, we have a gospel, we have the apostolic wisdom of the apostles. They were given instruction from the Holy Spirit, and they were teaching and being the foundation for the first church. The, the church was founded on the teachings of the apostles. Not only that, these apostles had an eyewitness account. As, as they're talking about this, they're saying, listen, this isn't just something we have heard. This is what we witnessed. And then it was the apostolic word. And so the apostolic word being the teaching inspired by the word of God for scripture, this was being met with opposition, with apostasy. So last week I said, remembering the gospel is the gateway to godliness. Well, today, rebellion to godliness is the gateway to apostasy. The first week I gave you this definition of apostasy. It's from the Greek word apostasia. That means a defiance, a rebellion, an abandonment, or breach of faith. It's a denial of key Christian truths, thus leading to a life that abandons or rejects Christ. Well, how does this happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It really begins with diminishing. Diminishing the lordship of Christ in certain areas of your life will lead to denying the lordship of Christ in every area of your life. Diminishing Christ is ultimately to deny Christ. The diminishing of God's word. You see, if you're diminishing the lordship of Christ in any area of your life, in any decision or in any habit or in any relationship, you're ultimately denying Christ his rightful place as Lord and Master. So how is this done? Well, it's done by diminishing, diluting, or devaluing Scripture. Don Carson was once asked if he could name some issues he thought would be problematic for Christians to navigate over the next few years. He simply stated, the battle will be with the Bible. Scripture will be attacked. Today, we see churches, denominations, individual believers who, because of their cultural ideologies, have an inaccurate view of Scripture. So what does this mean? Apostasy happens. In the church, when someone, some denomination, or someone, some teacher's doctrine and interpretation of Scripture is shaped more by what today's culture says than by the traditional, historical, and orthodox Christian interpretation of Scripture. 
this is written to the first church, but it's also so applicable to our church, to the church of this generation, the church of this culture, where there are all types of apostasies that are taking place, heretical teachings that are coming in, they're working their way into the church, and really what they're doing is they're, they're simply working their way in by diminishing the authority of God's word. And if you diminish the authority of God's word in one area of your life, then what's to keep it from moving into every area of your life? We see this in the context of 2 Peter. It really ends in verses 20 and 21 and then carries on into verse 1. So I want you to see this. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we end with this this scripture, this spoken by the word of God. This was men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They wrote down scripture. But false prophets also arose among the people. So to come alongside the Bible, there's also these false prophets. So diminishing, again, diluting, deleting, or denying scripture and God's authority to accommodate sin either in your life or in someone else's life is the gateway to apostasy. This is nothing new. This is where people take away the Bible to give reason for everything they want to do outside of Scripture. Doing away with the authority of Scripture or merely subjugating it to the authority of man purposefully paves the way for false doctrine and false teachers to infiltrate the flock of God. It invites theological confusion Elevating the words of fallible men over the inerrant word of God. John MacArthur. So what's the biblical evidence of this? Well, we said all throughout the New Testament, false teachers were coming. They were moving their way into the church. Romans 16, 17 through 18, as Paul's trying to end this great letter uh, that he wrote to the Romans, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons... Do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Listen, these people are coming in. They're creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've heard. They're coming in. They're bringing in something, and they want to deceive the hearts of the naive, those who simply want to follow the Lord. So they're listening. 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul would say, Now the Spirit expressively says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Listen, this is nothing new. He says, listen, in the last days, some will depart from the faith. They're going to follow a teaching that is evil. It comes alongside the Bible and it tries to show itself as, as being equal to the Bible in authority. And so you begin to diminish the word of God. And that is simply Satan's plan from the very beginning. Did God really say this to you? Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So take care because in the last days there will be some who will fall away. So watch your heart. Later in Hebrews 6.4-8, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of of the age to come, verse 6, and then have fallen away, 
to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. These verses are difficult. I mean, first of all, you see even here in Hebrews in verses 4 and 5 that there are people who have been enlightened. There are people who are partakers, who have set under the blessings of God. They've set under the word of God. And then you see in, verses, in verse 6 that they now have turned their back on these blessings, and now they're following their own uh, desires. And it says that they are basically re-crucifying Christ. So what does that mean? Well, that is a person who turns their back on the purity and the holiness and the devotion which the cross was designed to bring them. And it is as if they are nailing Jesus back to the cross. It is, it is in essence that they are taking Jesus out of their heart and they're putting him back on the cross. You know what? I love other things more, so I'm going to take Jesus out of my heart in this area and I'm going to put him back on the cross where he, where he died and I'm going to go about my life the way I want to. This is what Hebrews is saying. And not only that, he's saying that they are fruitless followers who have filled their lives with informational Christianity, but nothing grows. There's no fruit. So I think here's the point. If we have set in church with the light and the spirit and the word of God working in and around us, coming to us, blessing us, maybe even shaping us in some degree, but then we turn our back on it, we are like a field without vegetation and we'll come into judgment. The rain we have drunk, the light, the spirit, the word, the power of God has produced no fruit in our life. So after all, 1 John 2.19, he would sum it up this way. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. G.K. Bill would say it this way, the visible church community within, within which true saints exist will become so apostate that it will be dominantly filled with people who profess to be Christian but really are not. The church will continue to profess to be Christian, but most in it will actually not be true believers. So a picture paints a thousand words. Let me, let me give you a picture. Vincent Van Gogh painted this um, back in 1855, I believe. It's called Still Life with Bible. Now, when I was in college, I had the privilege of being in an art class. And in the art class, you had to sit and look at slides like this over and over and over. And all you did was memorize the date in which it was given or made, the, the artist who, who did it, and then what, you know, time zone or whatever it was in. And so I don't, it was called art appreciation. I can't tell you I appreciate art. But um, this, is, this is like one of those slides. And it does paint a very good picture worth a thousand words. So what you see here is a very large, hefty Bible that supposedly belonged to Vincent Van Gogh's father, who was a Protestant minister. 
But next to the Bible, you see his copy of Emily Zola's The Joy of Life next to it. You notice that for him, that was kind of like a different Bible for modern life. The book symbolizes different worldviews about following the joys of life. So by placing the burned-out candle beside the Bible and putting them both in the background, it's telling us that the times were changing where lesser authorities were moving into the foreground. Here's what's being communicated. The Bible is being pushed to the background, no longer bringing light to man's pursuits, but instead a new pursuit has come alongside the Bible to teach people to justify their decisions by whatever brings them joy. That's the picture of apostasy. That in our hearts, we push God's word to the background. We no longer let it be a light. We blow out the candle. And we put our pursuit of what brings us joy in the front. And then we say, I believe both. Is that not what the culture is doing? Do we see that False teachers are creeping their way into the church. They're bringing in destructive heresies that that say just diminish the word of God, delete the word of God, dilute the word of God, put it in the background, and follow whatever makes you have happiness and joy. That is apostasy. So let me read these three verses, and then let me pray for us, and then we'll see what we have today. Verse 1, chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings that it provides. We thank you for the wisdom that it gives us. We thank you for the light that guides us. Father, I do pray that as we get into your word today, that it would not be something that we push to the background. God, you bring it to the foreground. You let it be the authority of our life, that we would let you be Lord in every area of our life, that we would not dilute your word of God, we would not diminish it in our life, but we would be those who surrender, bow our knees to every word of scripture for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name, amen. Apostasy denies the lordship of Christ with destructive heresies. We see that there in verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Secretly bring in. This is the idea of smuggling something. It's not like they're bringing it out in the open. They're trying to sneak something in. uh, And they're doing it on purpose. They are taking a lie and they're covering it up with something that appears to be a truth. So they're wrapping it with something that people would say, oh, that looks good. That sounds good. And so why do we believe them? Well, because they appear to be followers of Christ. They appear to be genuine. They appear to be those who love Jesus, and yet they are smuggling in destructive heresies. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 13 through 15, Paul would say, For such men are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. 
And no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. So they come in, they appear to be followers. They claim to be followers, but they're disguising themselves because they are not servants of righteousness. They're servants of self. Jesus would say, you need to beware of these people because they look like sheep, but they're, they're not sheep, right? He says in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What they do is they come in and they smuggle in heresies. They smuggle in the diminishing of God's word, and they do it, and it sounds really good because what are they promoting? Well, they're wrapping it with unity and love and tolerance and acceptance. They're, they're saying, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're going you're gonna to accept people. You're going to love people. You're going you're gonna to do these things, and that sounds really good, right? So we begin to, all right, but what they're doing is they're wrapping up a lie, as Tony Marita says, but Christians and local churches today, in the name of love, unity, and acceptance, tolerate any teacher in person, on television, or through podcast who claims to be a believer and has an appealing presentation, regardless of what they are teaching. The result has been the development of the careless indifference to the truth. It's caused many Christians to view biblical absolutes as being archaic and even embarrassing. People are walking away from Scripture. They're pushing Scripture to the background. And they're doing it because they bought into these destructive heresies that say unity and love and acceptance and tolerance. And so now we need to be a church that does all of these things. But yet, well, the way that this is worded is offensive. And so we can't hold to that. You, you know what I'm saying? This is kind of what we've seen. As elders of our church, um, we're, we're really sensitive to uh, the fact that we want to be a church that teaches the Word of God. It, it wants, we want that to be the first and foremost thing. We, we want there to be Christ-centered exegetical teaching. We want there to be verse-by-verse -verse explanations of the Bible. We want you to be equipped for the work. So you are called, you are ministered to, and what, what we do is we want to give Scripture accurately. Uh, we want to see that done in small groups. We want to see that done in one-on-one in, in -on -one discipleship. So we're, we're, really, we're really sensitive to that, but that's not the only place we're sensitive to that. We're sensitive to that in the area of music as well. And so we believe that worship music is take-home theology because when you leave here, you might not remember anything that I've said, but you might still have a song stuck in your head that you're singing all day long. And if those lyrics are questionable theology, then why would we send you home with questionable theology? And so... Uh, if you're visiting and you don't know this, there's a reason why we don't sing songs from Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus Culture, or Elevation. Although these songs are probably the most popular songs on Christian radio, we as elders have looked at the teachings that have come out of these churches, and we believe that they do not give an accurate theology that would equip the saints for proper ministry. That there might be a misinterpretation, there might be a deluding of scripture. There might be a, a leading you away. And so we've decided that these are not songs that we want to sing corporately because we want to lift Christ up, not elevate ourselves in worship. Their songs repeatedly have theologically vague lyrics and questionable lyrics. They highlight charismatic and Pentecostal theology that is a lot of selfism and puts a lot of emphasis on self. Ultimately, these 
songs can lead naive believers down paths of theology that are inaccurate. As Scott Anoli says, the biggest reason you should stop singing songs from Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus Culture, and Elevation is that their music embodies a false theology of worship. We need to be aware of anything that would lead us away from Christ. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now I want you to follow with me here. We're starting to already move into point number two, but it's leading in that direction. And so there's a fruit of their apostasy that, it, that has taken place. It's a full denial of the one who bought them. We know that we were bought at a high price. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6, 13b and 18 and 20, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Verse 18, to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So we see that we were bought. We were set free. We were led away from the bondage of sexual sin and immorality. And so to continue in sexual sin and immorality is to deny the one who bought us. It's to say, you know what? I feel like this is more gratifying to my heart, and so I'm going to put that next to the, next to the authority of God's word, and so that's going to lead my decisions. So it's a manner of rebellion. Galatians 6, 8 would say, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Diminishing the Word of God for the sake of sexual morality is an apostasy that will lead towards destruction. Let me say that again. Diminishing the Word of God for the sake of, per, of pursuing sexual immorality is an apostasy that will lead towards destruction. You're sowing to receive punishment. You're sowing to receive decay, destruction, destruction of relationships, destruction consequences of sin. You're, you're sowing into something that will ultimately destroy. And this is what they do. So point two, apostasy denies the lordship of Christ to excuse loose living. So this is, where it's, this is where it's headed, verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Sexually immoral behavior diminishes the lordship of Christ in your life and denies the master who bought you. Jude would also speak of this immoral behavior. In Jude 4, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The same is true today. We have false teachers bringing in destructive heresies that pervert the grace of God and turn grace into a license for sin and practice of sensuality. The same is true today. There's a diluting, there's a diminishing of God's word so that there can be a lifestyle of sensuality. 
Wrong beliefs will lead to wrong behavior. A wrong theology, a wrong interpretation of Scripture will lead someone towards wrong behavior. So to pervert grace, to diminish doctrine, is to pursue and to promote sensuality. What does this look like today? Well, we see churches and people and denominations who claim to be Christian, but they are distorting the word of God to accommodate for homosexual lifestyles. Most recently, here at a very prominent church in the South, with an evangelical pastor who many of us know, there was a LGBTQ plus conference that was held at his church where practicing homosexuals were allowed to speak from the pulpit. Some of you are shocked. Some of you are shaking your head because you've heard of this. The shift of interpreting scripture by what culture says rather than the traditional, historical, and orthodox Christian interpretation of scripture has caused many people to question their faith, redefine their beliefs, deconstruct their faith, and even deny the authority of scripture to pursue their own sensual and sexual relationships, which are condemned in scripture. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. What we have here is we have a teaching that comes into the church that is antinomian. So what antinomian is, is instead of the law. So basically, instead of following the law, you can pervert grace. Basically teaching a relaxed interpretation of grace so that you can remove any, any moral restraints that come along with God's word. Peter says that because of these blatantly sensual lifestyles that are justified by poor theology, by so-called saints and churchgoers, the watching world will judge Christianity based on that evil behavior. So the watching world will watch our interpretation of Scripture and how we live out our lives and base Christianity on that, right? Paul would say in Romans 2, 21 through 24, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So I ask you, and I ask myself, does our manner of life and our pursuit of godliness bring glory to God to the watching world? Or does the watching world look at our manner of life and blaspheme the Lord? Here's the scary part of this passage. In light of our current culture and the culture that has slipped itself into the local church, the issue is, is that false teachers are apparently those who have at one time made a decision of faith. The scary part is that the attack is not from without. The attack comes from within. It's those who have claimed to be followers of Christ by all verbal indications. Are, they're giving the impression to others that they're followers of Christ. By their lifestyle throughout the week, though, they're displaying a rebellion to godliness and an appetite for sensuality. So these are people who come in, they say they claim to be followers of Jesus verbally, but throughout the week, their entire lifestyle is one towards sensuality and feeding their appetite. Sensuality is the absence of all moral restraint, especially in the area of sexuality. 
This is sex outside of marriage. This is premarital sex. This is homosexuality. This is unbridled self-indulgence that's marked by a life of undisciplined obscenities. Even though they may attend church occasionally, claim to be a Christian verbally, their blatant disobedience in the area of sensuality shows that they are like the parable of the rocky soil or the thorny ground. Matthew 13 20 through 22. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Both of these received set under the blessings of God's word. Yet at some point when sensuality and attraction and persecution, all these things begin to arise, they quickly fell away. Or they allowed so many other cares, so many other things to grow up along that it choked out the word of God. So what this means is the credibility of your confession is directly connected to your conduct. For the church today, the credibility of our confession is directly connected to our conduct. You're not saved by works, but you're saved unto good works. He redeemed you, he bought you, he purchased you, he changed you, he took you out of the slavery that you were in, and he set you on a new path. Your conduct gives credibility to that. As Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Conduct matters. The fruit that we produce in our lives matter. Apostasy, thirdly, denies the lordship of Christ for personal gain. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So just as there is an unmistakable connection between apostasy and sexuality, sensuality, there is a direct connection between apostasy and greed, the exploitation. The word exploit here is a business term used of traveling salesmen. So this gives you a nice visual. Someone coming to your door, they go around, they peddle a product for their monetary gain, not really the, better, the betterment of men. They're just trying to get you to buy something, whether it's the vacuum guy that shows up at your front door or the cleaning guy who has this special spray, he's going to clean your shoe with it, you know, I don't know what it is. They're just coming along, they're trying to get you to buy something. And you know it's fake, you know it's not real, but man, it sounds really good. This is what false teachers do. They commercialize Christianity to benefit from deceived consumers. This is the modern-day prosperity gospel. The modern-day prosperity gospel, or filled with preachers who are peddling 
their own plastic theology and they're on TV stations, they're on radio stations, they're all over Christian consumerism areas and you might have heard of people like this from Oral Roberts to Jim Baker to Jimmy Swaggart. Today we have people like Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Joel Olstein, T.D. Jakes, Paula White, Joyce Myers, locally Perry Stone. These are all people selling books and peddling a false gospel and really they're just trying to pad their pockets. Why do we fall for this? Because Christian selfism is so attractive. Christian selfism. Just like the picture I showed you. Slide the Bible to the background and put your own thing in front of it that says, this is my pursuit of happiness. Christian selfism. I will pursue what makes me happy, what gives me pleasure, and what I think is right all along claiming to be a follower of Jesus. It's Christian selfism. It is apostasy. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This means they may think they're getting away with it because punishment is postponed, but the judge is not asleep. So where can I leave you today? I'll leave you with the word of God that it is God's holy, inspired word. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. It was given to man to write down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that would lead and guide us into truth and doctrine and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And anything that teaches contrary to that, we should be aware of. Diminishing, diluting, deleting, or denying Scripture and God's authority to accommodate sin in your life or in someone else's life is the gateway to apostasy. Beware of any teaching or lifestyle that claims Christ but willfully deviates from God's word. This is Peter's warning to the church. And so I hope that I delivered it well to you today. Let's pray.